Welcome to the Transforming Sales for Good podcast. I'm your host, Scott Roy. Today is the last episode of a three-part series, Transformative Tips for Prospecting and Selling. So this is a roundup episode that's going to bring together the key ideas that both Sam and I have been sharing with you over the last two sessions. So Sam, welcome back and let's kick off with you. What are some top pieces of advice that you can think of that help people get off to the right kind of start, starting off on the right foot to be able to find the information that's going to really, really hone in the approach they're going to make with their customers? So I think the first one is mindset. You've got to have a different mindset as a salesperson if you're going to practice sales intelligence and DQ, decision intelligence. And I can set that mindset up with a couple of quotes. One is from Teddy Roosevelt, and his quote was, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. What does that mean? It means if we start going in and selling, as you talked about in in our last session, features and benefits and doing all the typical sales process that people do, but you have not defined the situation, you have not defined the problem from the prospects or the customer's perspective, well, then you're going to be seen as a salesperson. You're going to feel as a salesperson who's trying to convince somebody to buy something. Versus if you have a mindset of my goal is I'm going to really show that I care, that as a salesperson, I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. What I'm trying to do is figure out how my solution can help them achieve their goals a little bit faster, more efficiently, more effectively, more profitably than they might be able to do on their own. That's my goal. So that's a mindset that you come into it. The other person will pick up on that, that you're there not to sell, you're there to solve problems. Something that I think we've all been caught up in in, in today's world, and that is, you know, everybody tells you, hey, you got to be on LinkedIn, you got to be on Twitter, you got to be on Facebook, you got to be doing all this marketing, posting this, that. Now, that's all important. Of course it is. But that is all part of marketing. And what marketing is, is if we were to simplify it, marketing is to make you, your company, your solutions, and even you with your LinkedIn profile, your posts, look interesting. You look interesting in the minds of your buyer. That's Mm -hmm. important. Don't get me wrong. That's incredibly Mm -hmm. important. But I believe to be effective in selling today, you also need to be interested. So interesting, yes. But if you really want to succeed, you need to be interested. And so if I were to wrap up number one, it's do your homework. Show that you're interested in the other person. Show that you genuinely care what's going on in their world. So it's a shift of mindset. Doing my homework is not some drudgery that, you know, let's go back to our school days. A lot of us didn't like doing the homework. Maybe we like going to class. I'm not sure we like taking the tests. We like getting the results. We don't like the homework. That's drudgery. I think we have to get away So it's a mindset that, no, if I'm going to do my job effectively as a salesperson, I have to be interested, not just interesting, and I have to show that I care. So that's number one. It's your mindset. Great point. I couldn't agree more with you about that. I would say my number one would be mindset as well. And that's the mindset of, are you out there to convince people to buy? Or are you out there to help people make the best possible decisions? It's night and day difference. Let's do this together. What's your number one? So yeah, mine yeah. said yours kind of is mindset, but take it a little, take it for no, definitely, definitely mindset. I mean, it's it's it certainly is from a standpoint, in order to do what I'm suggesting from a standpoint of taking the time to learn from your client to really allow them the latitude to sort of spill over into topics that may not seem like they're relevant to the reason you're there, but they are relevant to the customer. It really fits in really well with what you're talking about, with you're interested. 
It's like, I'm interested in you and understanding what your challenges, situations, problems, opportunities, et cetera, are from your perspective. I want to understand that because if I understand that, then there's something that I can do possibly to help solve or improve the situation that you currently have. So I think we're definitely speaking about two facets or three or four facets of the same diamond here. If everyone just stopped listening to us right now and they shut off their computer and they said, okay, I'm going to take that and put that into practice, I think people's sales would probably jump 20, 30, maybe even 40 or 50% just simply by changing your mindset about what you're up to as a salesperson. So my add to that would be take the time to really express that interest in your client, listen to what they're saying carefully, play back what you're hearing them say so you validate it. And so they can think even more deeply about it. And in that case, I'm taking my time. I'm giving you the latitude. I'm respecting you as a potential client. And I'm also listening to you so well that I can actually play back what I've heard you say. And when I'm able to do that, then the client goes, wow, this guy's really listening or this person really understands me. With that, you really put in place a very solid foundation upon which to build a great sales engagement. Agree, agree. Okay, number two. So I've got the right mindset. I would say number two is the how. Mm. And the how of sales intelligence is going to be a little bit different for every person. But in general, it's going to be the following. A, you're going to do, I call it Google preschool. You're going to look at the company's website. (laughs) Now, I know that that's basic, but my goodness, so many people don't. If you've ever been in a selling situation where somebody's selling to you and they say these words, tell me a little bit about what your company does, end it right there. They don't care. They're just asking because they haven't done their homework. So Google Mm -hmm. preschool, look at the person's website. Now Mm -hmm. we got to move into kindergarten, elementary school. I'm going to do a Google news search on the company and I'm going to pull up some news articles. What's going on in their world that they care about? I'm going to go look at the individual I'm meeting with, their LinkedIn profile. People like to talk about themselves, find something that's interesting, where they went to school, where they used to work. Something interesting that potentially even aligns with your life. So if you see that they were a college football player, maybe you were a college football player, you can discuss that. Maybe they used to work somewhere that you used to work at or that you know somebody at. Find something of common interest where you can ask a good question on their LinkedIn profile. I also might do some overall industry research, kind of aligning with DQ in the sense of trying to find an issue or a trend going on in their industry. A resource to do that is a website called You Got Research. Y-O-U-G-O-T research.com, completely free. And it allows you to find research reports, trend reports, survey results, industry outlooks, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Find a talking point, and I'm sure you'll add on to this, how it adds into DQ, but something that's going on in their world that they care about. It's the how, it's really just whatever those tactics, because they are tactics, the search tactics you're going to use consistently every time prior to a meeting. And it should only take you three to five minutes What do they do? How big are they? How many employees do they have? What are some recent news, press releases, something going on in their world that they care about and something going on in their industry that may be impacting their ability to achieve their goals? So do those sorts of things. That's the how. Put in place two, three, four specific research tactics that will take you no longer than three to five minutes prior to a meeting and embed those in your sales process. Do it every single day time. And as a sales manager, it's your right to call on any salespeople. Hey, tell me about uh, Joe Bufutnik. Tell me one thing about their company that's going on that most people don't know about. If your salespeople can't answer that question, then they need some training on the how. Okay. What's your number two? Yeah. My number two is also a how, and that is how 
we engage with customers from a standpoint of how do you get people to open up to you? How do you get people to share their story with you? And one of the things that we teach is a skill called precision listening. I was always taught as a salesperson to learn how to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Actually, we have a build on that, which says that, yes, questions are good, but the gold standard is actually something called playback or precision listening. And that is that when you say something about your situation, I simply listen to you carefully and I play back to you what I think I heard you say. And I don't sound like a parrot. I'm not trying to get every word right, but I pick one, two, three key words you use, and I don't add a lot to it. So for instance, I might say, so Sam, what you're saying is with your company, one of the challenges you have is because you're a busy guy and how you actually schedule and you'd have to be on one side of the country to the other side of the country, how to do that most effectively. Mm -hmm. And then I stop talking. Notice I don't say, is that right? Or mm -hmm. right? Why don't you say, is that right? Because what happens is I simply stop Mm -hmm. And then you pick up, if I've done a good job in listening and hearing yet, then you're going to pick it up and say, yeah. And actually what usually happens is that da, 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 you say, and so then you pick up the story and keep going. You right. say, because, because is that right? You're either going to get a yes or a no, but by not saying, is that right? You're going to get an and it sounds that's right. Like yeah. That's exactly right. Because the question in that case will shut down the conversation. And really what you're wanting is to expand the conversation. Because if you've brought this subject up as a challenge in your company, there's more to the story than just the simple statement that you gave me. You say, so I'm going to say, ah, so what you're saying is da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And notice I'm not inflecting my voice or anything where you would say, yes, you got that right. Or no, you didn't get that right. And so then you're very likely going to pick up that thread and continue to tell me more. I never forget, Roy and I were in one of our early days. This was back in 2011, I think it was. You know, We were like two or three years into business and we had just coined DQ. We had just come up with the actual frameworks and everything. So we're in a meeting with one of the largest corporations in the world. I mean, you know, nearly a hundred billion dollars in sales a year. Okay. So a big company, right? And so we're in one division, one little division, it's about 3 billion. And we're talking to a guy named Mark. In fact, his story is in our book. And during this two hour interview, we have Nigel, who's over here, who's the head of learning and development. We have Mark, who's the vice president and Roy and myself in the sales conversation. He and I have our notebooks open and writing furiously. But before we started writing furiously, we said, Mark, you're wanting to establish strategic selling in your company. Tell us about that. And so then that was the last sort of question, not really even a question, that we asked for about an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. What ended up happening was Mark just kept adding more and more and more to the story. And we would play back the key parts of the story, and he would just add more and more and more. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is about an hour and a half into the conversation, we're selling sales training. He put both of his hands down on the table like this and almost stood up and he looked over. He says, I know what I want. I want my guys to be selling to our clients like you're selling to me right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, And what we found later on after we had won the contract, there were six bidding companies for this, is we found out all the other five companies came in with their slide decks and their pitch. And for two hours, they were pitching why their sales training program was better than anything else. We didn't do any of that mm -hmm. during that conversation whatsoever. And we won the business because he trusted us. He trusted us to listen to him carefully. The bottom line is, I find that that is probably one of the most distinguishable features of DQ is that people 
literally park the excessive use of questions and they also park the pitch. And instead, what they're focusing on is what is your situation? I want to understand what you're dealing with. I want to understand exactly what's going on on your side. And then that follows directly into then the cost calculation, which then just sets the sale in place. We have a saying that when you get to that stage, which is you've now costed the problem, you've got the problems on the table, you've costed the problem. Now, if the client says, yes, that's a problem worth solving, the sale is yours to lose, essentially. The sale has already been made and it's yours to lose. And it's just a matter of then doing what most salespeople think selling is. And that's where you start matching your product in. So my tip number two for the how-to is to really commit to listening to your customers and really listen deeply and absolutely be just curious. And you use the word interested interested in them to a level that you've never been interested before. And you'll be amazed at all the momentum for the sale is created in that encounter or those encounters, if they're multiple, coming from the other side. Yeah, I love that. And and it really dovetails into my number three. My number three is, okay, once you have the information, how do you effectively use it? There's really two parts of using it, right? There's the part during the sales call. And we discussed that in our first session together, but it's really using the language and I use it, but it's corny, but modify it, make it work for you. But something along the lines of, Scott, before I meet with people, I like to do a little bit of homework. You're a busy person and I don't want to waste your time. Right there, that simple statement shows that I care and that I'm interested. Every meeting you go into, the other person always has that small talk going on in their head. It could be everything from why am I meeting with this person again to, oh my God, I hope this guy hurries up because I've got to get my dog to the vet. And oh, by the way, I've got to prepare for a board meeting. So we've got to get them out of that small talk. The next part is the magic phrase. And it's very simple. Scott, before I meet with people, I like to do a bit of homework. You're a busy person. I don't want to waste your time. And guess what I found? What happens when I say, and guess what I found? Well, you've piqued my interest completely. And I just, I want to know. I want to know. What'd you find? And all that small talk about getting your dog to the vet simply just vanished. Disappears, yeah. It could be something as simple as that new product launch that you did. I mean, it's amazing. Or it could be something about, you know, I'm sure you already know this, Scott, but wow, that new regulatory compliance that you're going to have to come up with, that's going to be a huge problem. And then I'll ask the final question is, can you tell me a little bit about that? Which really dovetails into what you're saying is get the other person talking. And then what I always say is, then what do I do next? I be quiet and I listen because they're going to tell me, how did you do that? We could be, hey, I found that you just won best places to work. Wow, that's really cool. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, you're going to go on for 20 minutes on what you did to make it best places to work. Or, hey, uh, I saw that new regulatory issue. Is that going to impact your business? So, Sam, you wouldn't believe how it's going to impact our business. Wow, can you tell me a little bit about that? And then you be quiet and listen. So Mm -hmm. that's using information in the meeting. And again, come up with your own words. That's just kind of a structure. But it's basically tell them that you care, show them that you care, tell them what you found, and then tell them to tell you about that. Their Mm -hmm. their take on that situation. The other way we use information that we haven't talked too much about, and that is in the overall sales process. Because pre-COVID, there's been a number of studies, but pre-COVID, a lot of these studies will tell you that the majority of salespeople give up after three contact attempts. And I define a contact attempt as a phone call, an email, a social media connection, let's say. You know, I called the person, never got a response. I emailed, they don't return my emails. I even tried a LinkedIn connection, they've never accepted. Ah, they're not interested. But yet most sales don't progress until somewhere between the fifth and 12th call. 
And that mm-hmm. was pre-COVID. I believe that now it's probably between the 12th and 18th call. Wow. 12th and 18th connection. I don't have a study on that. It's just intuitive that people are busy. Everybody's response right. rates are getting lower. So that's where yeah. I'm coming up with that. Now, yeah. does that mean that salespeople are lazy? No. You know what it means? Salespeople are human. We yeah. don't like to be told no all those times. Yeah. So you can leverage information in that fifth to 12th call without having to be, are you ready to buy, ready to buy, ready to buy, ready to buy? Instead, you reach out and you say, hey, Scott, I stumbled across this article about your competitor. Thought you'd be interested. Hope all is well. I call it the value-added follow-up. The value-added follow-up is quite simply something that you know is exceptionally important to your prospect that has absolutely nothing to do with you. The value-added follow-up should occur even after you've done, say, the DQ process. You've done the DQ process using your example. Mark has told you all these things. Instead of following up with a thank you note, thank you so much for meeting with us. As discussed in our meeting, we will deliver these four things. Nothing wrong with that. But then in the PS, you might put something like, oh, by the way, Mark, stumbled across this article on the value of strategic selling. Thought it really supported much of our discussion today. Thought you might find it helpful. Great. Give your prospects something that they can use to go to their boss. And maybe they're the boss. They can go to influencers that support what you're trying to convey, what you're selling. As I like to say, the value-added follow-up works best when it has nothing to do with you. So stumbled across this report online thought you might be interested. Hope all is well. Looking forward to our next conversation. If you're working in industry segments, you can really create a lot of preset sort of responses. I I completely agree with that. That's great. For example, I use You Got Research. I use my own Intel engines to find reports, articles. I actually have a folder on my computer called value-added follow-up. Yeah. And there's there's 40 articles in there, 30 research reports. So for example, one of them is from last year. It was a 2021 trends in the meeting industry. And so I'll send that out to my prospects saying, hey, Joe, you may not have seen this, but 2021 is in the meeting industry. Some of the data is a little bit old. We've learned some since then. But as it relates to, let's say this person's in manufacturing and they do association conferences, as it relates to your association conferences, you might find the chart on page 17 very helpful. Hope all is well. Look forward to speaking soon. Sam. I don't talk about me. I don't talk about my speech. I don't talk, nothing. It's all about them. Right. Because when I do call, and I got to tell you, the number of times, Scott, people have come up to me at conferences where they've said, oh, that's Richter. That's the guy that's always sending me stuff. Isn't that interesting? That's that's what you want. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. When they do that. So that's my number three. Brilliant. is you got the mindset that you care about the other person and that you're interested in their success. You're interested in them. You've got some tactics that you implement three to five minutes before every meeting, and you have the value-added follow-up, and you have the technique for leveraging information inside a meeting without being a stalker. But again, kind of tying back to the mindset, the reason I'm finding information is not to be a spy or a stalker, it's to provide value to you. Sure. Absolutely. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you today because there's so many places where the interconnectedness of the way you think and the way we think, we definitely have different approaches in certain things, but there's just a synergy with selling intelligence and decision intelligence. And I think one of the most important things that I'm taking from today's meeting is just this whole critical nature of being interested and that it's really about over there. So it's what's on the other side of the table. And what is it that this person needs? What is they want? How can they be more successful, et cetera? What can I do 
to help them with that, but to learn and take the time to do that in all of these different ways. Mm-hmm. My third tip would be, it's really about the doing of selling, what we call execution. We're following these three things because you're basically following the same pattern here too. We have something called race, R equals A plus C plus C. And it's our framework that we use to diagnose problems within our clients. Okay. This is what we use as a consulting organization and in the selling process. And what race stands for is the results that you're generating currently come from three factors, attitude, mindset, plus competence, skills, et cetera, plus execution, the doing of selling. And essentially what you're currently producing as a sales representative or a sales manager, a sales team, a head of sales, a whole sales department, you can actually do a race survey to use the lenses of race to look at why are we getting the results we're getting? How is it happening that we're getting these results? And this really goes along the lines of J. Edwards Deming, you know, the famous management consultant from the 50s and the 60s in Japan, the one guy who was credited with the economic and industrial recovery of Japan. But Deming said, every process produces perfect results. Mm -hmm. And that means that every time you're getting the results you're getting, you're producing them perfectly. Mm -hmm. If you're missing your target by 50%, you have a formula for perfectly producing 50% (laughs) (laughs) negative targets, you see. Conversely, if you're producing quarter over quarter, 25% growth, then you have a formula that you've figured out how to produce that over and over again. So congratulations. If you want to increase that, there may be some other things you can do by tweaking attitude, competence, or execution. I'm going to share my execution tip, which is really about how do you maintain momentum in the sale? If we're looking at a one-call close, it's going to be how do I create the momentum to get to the close, to make it through any certain objections that might come up toward the end? Of course, if you're doing DQ, objections tend to be smaller, easier to deal with, or non-existent. But how do I navigate those in a longer-term sale where you have three, five, eight, 10, 20 different meetings? My job is to always get the person on the other side to commit to what it is that they're going to do in how are we going to keep this thing going? And if there is any sort of hesitation, the lukewarm response to that, or there's a hesitation to make a committed meeting, or there's just, no, I'm I'm not going to have a meeting. Obviously, you've got a block. So if you want to live on hope, leave that meeting and say, I'll check back with you in two weeks. And in two weeks time, you will be a faded memory of a distant past. Instead, what I would recommend is learning how to really greet any sort of blocks with open arms. Okay. So it's like, oh, okay. So you want to leave open a chance to meet on a specific date coming up. Can you tell me a bit more about that? what your thinking is, you say. So instead of trying to convince them that they should meet on that date or set a definite date, I want to find out what's blocking him or her from committing to a next meeting. What we find is when people follow this process of getting to a very next step and committing to it, and then moving to the next step and committing to it and keep the momentum moving forward in that sale, the sale is really yours to lose, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. Mm -hmm. If on the other hand, I leave a meeting where I'm living on hope, okay, so you'll call me next week, (laughs) right? Or you're going to talk to John about this and then you guys are going to come back to me, okay? Your sale is in imminent danger of collapsing. Hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. So what it really is about is how do I open up my ears and listen at that point? It's one of the hardest things for salespeople to do is when they encounter a block, and we like to call them blocks 
not objections. Mm -hmm. Objections sound a lot bigger and scarier, and it sounds like Perry Mason in court. You know, objection, Your Honor, sustained. It, it sounds like it's more of a conflict than actually it is. What we like to say is, look, the customer, again, this is the customer's buying process. What we like to say is the customer, for whatever reason at this point, has a block. Now, the only way I'm going to be able to help us get unblocked is to be able to learn about what the block is. And so I'm going to do everything I can in my power to discover what the block is and to be able to help the customer to dismantle the block. Sometimes it's going to come down to, well, I've got a couple of thoughts. Would you like to hear them? Well, we could do this or we could do that. Or it might be that it's such a situation where I think the customer could probably come up with the answer. So for example, it might be about their procurement process. Well, we're now into the procurement stage and I just can't make a commitment at this point to a single source with your company. Once you get that out on the table, say, now that we know there's procurement ahead, Let's talk about what other steps we could take right now to keep this conversation moving. See, now we have an alternative route to maybe find a way to keep the conversations moving in the right direction. So that's my, my tip is you want to be sure that you don't leave ambiguity on the table. You want to do everything you can without being forceful, but being diplomatic and being good at listening to find out what is the block, can we solve it? Or if we can't solve it, is the deal dead, quite frankly? You know, so it's hard to say what it's going to be at that point. But nine times out of 10, we found that when there's a block, by taking that conversation a bit further to talk about, well, let's talk about what may be standing in the way. Nine times out of 10, we get a very next step and we keep the sale moving. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love so those are my those are my three tips. Number one, agreeing with you about mindset. Mm -hmm. And that mindset is turning sales on its head and not be in what the world thinks selling is, which is pitching and convincing people to buy my product, but instead learning and listening what the problem is and see if there's something I can do to help solve that problem and being interested in the client. Number two is to really use the skills of precision listening to be able to listen carefully and then to be able to play back to the client what you've heard them say in such a way that they continue to tell more of the story. The more they talk about this, then the more they understand their own problem and the more engaged they are and the more they like you, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, and, and you earn the right to be listened to at the right point, which is when you begin to share your solution to their problem. And then the last point, which I've just made, which is how do you keep the sale moving, particularly in a multi-call close where how do you keep the sale moving with very next steps? And what do you do when they are not ready to take that next step? How do you solve that? So they'll take a step. It may not be the step you wanted them to take, but it'll be a step that leads sideways, hopefully ahead, but definitely a commitment to a very next step. Love it. I think those are great. And hopefully your three and my three, so the six steps will take everyone who's listening today to another level in their sales. I think it's really appropriate, Sam, as you and I met each other, it was because you had selling intelligence, we had decision intelligence. It was like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah. What is this all about? What's his all about? <laughs> and, we, and we discovered each other. And really what I think what we're saying is selling is an intelligence sport. Yeah. It's a sport about gathering the intelligence that you need, being intelligent with how you use that, and then being intelligent with how you are creative in the selling process, being thoughtful, essentially. And thoughtful salespeople, if they don't get too stuck on just being thoughtful and not action-oriented, oftentimes are going to be the people who are going to bring home the biggest trophies. No question about that. 
So Sam, just to reiterate, in order to get more information about your selling intelligence and the ability to gather that intelligence, how can people get a hold yeah, of the, you? The two key websites would be uh, samrichter.com, www.samrichter.com. And then my search resources, uh, all custom for different industries, is Intel Engine, and that's spelled N-G-I-N, www.intel. N-G-I-N.com. Or as I like to say, just Google me. If I'm not showing up number one, we got a big problem. So, uh, and how about you? How how are people going to be at more knowledge and training and getting your book for decision intelligence? First of all, the book, Decision Intelligence Selling, which we're very fortunate in that hit the bestseller list. And we're just tickled pink about that has gotten really great reviews and people have found it incredibly valuable because it really lays out the technology in such a way that it's approachable. It's not like a textbook. It's told more in a story format, which really fits I think the sales personality and sales management personality much better. So that's available on Amazon and also Barnes and Nobles and Apple, et cetera, all the different platforms, either in a printed form, or you can get it in a Kindle version. If you want more information about us, you can go to wrpartnership.com. That's WR and then just partnership.com. And you can just Google Scott Roy or Roy Witten or Witten and Roy Partnership, and you'll find hopefully a lot of stuff about what we've been doing, podcasts, and more information that might really enrich your sales career. Sales is a lifelong career in the sense that there's always stuff to learn. Sam, I'm guessing you didn't know all this when you started your sales career, nor did I. No. And so this is something you develop over time as you develop your philosophies and approach to selling. You know, I hope our comments and conversation over the last three sessions has stimulated some thought in you about how you can be the best salesperson you can be and be really proud of the noble profession that it is. Absolutely. I think it is. And I would just like to add to that is just even if you don't have the word sales on your business card, you are in sales. Customer yeah. support in sales. Marketing people are in sales. You're always selling your ideas to outside people. You're selling your ideas internal to your own staff. Uh, you're selling your ideas to your spouse. <laughs> hey, I want to go to this Italian restaurant versus that Italian restaurant, right? We're all in sales to some form of degree. We may not have sales on our business card, but every day we should have the mindset of how are we going to provide value to other people in ways that benefit us as well too sometimes. Sam, thank you a bunch. And I look forward to our next conversation. Take care. Thank you very much. <laughs>